Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. He was tempted even as we are, yet without sin. The text is Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Then, immediately after his baptism, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God mentioned in Genesis 1, that hovered over this creation. When the earth was formless, dark and void. That same phrase, the Spirit of God used in Genesis 1, the same phrase is used here. The Spirit of God hovering not over creation, when creation was without form and void. But this time, the Spirit of God hovering over one person on this planet. And that one person is Jesus, the Son of God. The Spirit of God descended like a dove and lighted upon him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. When the Spirit on the day of creation hovered over the waters and was part of the creation, God opened his mouth and he said, Let there be lights. And on this occasion, when the Spirit hovers over Jesus Christ, God himself opens his voice and he says in so many words, This is the light that has come into this world's darkness. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. After that, Jesus was led by the Spirit of God, the same phrase, into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I want to talk about temptation these next two or three weeks. It is a major theme of the Lenten season. As Jesus walks slowly over that hot, dry desert sand, I am most certain that in his mind was the event that just had occurred, the baptism of our Lord. It is a high point in Jesus' life, one might say the highest point, because this Spirit of God hovers over him. And this powerful Spirit of God involved in the creation of this universe, that Spirit of God descends upon him. And no sooner does the Spirit descend upon him than the voice out of heaven declares, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God had made it definite who Jesus was. He was as truly God as if he was not man. And he was truly man as if he was not God. And the Bible says of him, he is both God and man. 
And at that moment when God has spoken over his son, Jesus knew beyond a shadow of a doubt who he was and what his mission on this earth would be. The site of the baptism, the river Jordan, it is now many miles behind him. The Spirit of God has directed him. Satan was not luring him into the wilderness. Jesus was not taking a few days off to prepare for his great ministry. The Bible makes it very clear that the Spirit of God has directed him into the wilderness. That wilderness still exists. If you take a tour of the Holy Lands, some of them will take you to this wilderness called the Jeshimone. That word is translated the desolation. It is aptly named. As the Lord squints through sweat-blinded eyes, he sees before him miles upon miles of crumbled limestone and scattered shingle. The hills were like dust heaps, the rocks bare and jagged. The very ground, if you go there today during the summer, it will shimmer as if it is on top of a subterranean furnace. The temperature is in that wilderness, 125, 130 degrees, if you go there today. After walking seven or eight miles, he comes upon an elevation, a mountain called Quarantania. It stands 1,500 feet above sea level. And legend has it that when he comes to this mountain, that is where he stops. A mountain pockmarked by caves overrun by wild animals. It is at that point he stops, seven or eight miles into the wilderness. And there he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. It is the Son of God versus the demon from hell. And the history of mankind, the fate of mankind, hangs in the balance. Satan has tempted the first man, Adam, Pastor Shaw read about Romans 5. And when he tempted the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, they fell almost instantly. This is the second man, Adam. And Satan, who is so arrogant that he goes against God in heaven, he stands face to face with Jesus, and he feels within himself that he will conquer this second man, Adam. I want to bring forth three things about temptation. The first point being this. I want you to realize that when you're tempted, there is nothing inherently wrong with temptation itself. It is a neutral term. The Greek word for temptation is perizo. It means to test a person's character with the purpose of either good or evil. Temptation in and of itself, nothing wrong with it. Bible says, Hebrews 5, 8, Jesus was perfect. If Jesus was tempted as we are, then temptation itself cannot be the sin. 
In the Lord's Prayer, we say to God, lead us not into temptation, and if it comes, deliver us from the evil one. Jesus didn't get lost, and that's why he's in the wilderness. He didn't go out there to become a hermit. I emphasize again that the Spirit of God has led him out there to be tempted not by God, but to be tempted by Satan. And God will use this temptation in order to test his own son. And that is the second point. God tempts no man. He allows man to be tested, Hebrews, the discipline of God. But he himself does not bring the temptation. James 1.13, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted by evil, neither tempts he any man. A man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and seduced. Lust, when it's fully developed, give birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully developed, gives birth to death. Jesus led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. And God uses this time of testing for his own divine purpose. God's purpose floods throughout the entirety of Jesus' life. There is never a day in his life, there is never a circumstance in his life that God's purpose does not flood through it. It wasn't by happenstance he's in the wilderness. It wasn't by happenstance that a woman is sitting there at Sychar's well. It wasn't happenstance that Jesus is standing under a sycamore tree when Zacchaeus is up there. You understand that every circumstance, every miracle, every situation in Jesus' life is flooded with the purpose of God. And one might say the same about any one of our lives. It is flooded with the purpose of God. I've said these past years that Psalm 139 is my favorite psalm. For it indicates just what I've mentioned. Psalm 139 talks about the purpose of God in your life. And his purpose covers every day in your life. The Bible says God knows your thought before you think it. He knows a word coming out of your mouth before you speak it. The Bible says God has you hemmed in. He knows your past. Because his purpose floods through the entirety of your past. And God knows your future because his purpose floods throughout the entirety of your future. And then this astonishing comment, God knows when you lie down and when you rise up. God knows when you enter a certain circumstance in your life. And he knows when you are about to leave that circumstance and when a new one is coming Then it talks about God's presence. It says if you get up really early in the morning, God's already up. And if you travel across the seas, God's already there. 
And if you ascend up into the heavens with some great joy, God is there saying, I'm the cause of this joy. And if during a time of testing in your life, you enter one of the darkest periods you'll ever have. Psalm 139 says, God is already there in the darkness and he will light it up. Psalm 139, it talks about the purpose of God in the entire span of your life. God took Satan's temptation and he used it to bring his very own son close to him. Jesus' temptation in the wilderness is the period of his great testing. One of the Gospels says an angel came after the temptation and ministered to him. And one of the Gospels says that Satan left him for a time. He would return two weeks before Jesus crucifixion. He's climbing the Mount of Transfiguration. Why? Because Satan has come again. And Jesus climbs that mountain to speak to his father, visited by Moses and Elijah and God himself. And for a second time, Jesus is strengthened and marches to the cross. A third time, Satan will come. Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus saying, Father, if there's some other way to pay the penalty for sin, let it happen some other way. Not my will, but thine be done. And for a third time, the Bible says, after that period of testing, an angel came and ministered to him. Times of testing. I never forget Pastor Schmidtke's sermon now seven or eight years ago. He said, God asked people to climb different mountains. His son had just died three years earlier. I knew what he was talking about. God asked every individual to climb different mountains. This person climbs a mountain called alcoholism. Shall not judge him because you have a different mountain to climb. And uh, Gary Schmidtke said, when we climb mountains at time of testing, Satan means the event for our destruction. But God in his goodness comes and he takes that time of testing. And he uses it for three purposes. He uses us it to discipline. He uses it to educate. And he uses us it to bring us closer to him. Time of testing. And Pastor Schmidtke, talking about the passing of his son, said, In my life, all three occurred. That time of testing, it was a discipline to me. I understood that I was not as close to God as I should have been, though a minister of his word for decades. Schmidtke said, It was used to educate me. He said, I found things out about God that I've never known in my life. And if I had not gone through that time of testing, 
I would never have learned the things I have learned about God. And finally, Schmitke said, It has brought me so close to him. A great professor, Dr. Landells, once said, No man was ever worth much who did not pass through some severe ordeal. A mushroom may be raised in a summer house, but not an oak tree. When you want to raise an oak tree, you plant it on the side of a mountain. It strikes its roots deep into the soil, becomes more compact in its fiber with every passing storm. Abraham tested by God. Sacrifice your only son Isaac. Sacrifice him to me. Abraham was subjected to a self-examination that would strengthen his character unlike any other. And during that time of testing, his faith in God did not go south, it went north. The book of Hebrews, it says Abraham's faith was so strong that he actually believed if he took his son's life, God could raise him from the dead. Trial is an essential part of God's program for our lives. There are Christians who have been members of this church for 50, 60 years. They never miss a Sunday. And all of us fall into the trap, myself included. When a trial comes, they will come into the office and they will say, Where has God gone? Pastor, you've seen me sitting in the pew every Sunday for the 29 years you've been here. And now this has happened to my spouse, or this has happened to me, or this has happened to my son or daughter. And they'll say, where has God gone? How difficult it is for any Christian to look at a time of testing and to not believe that God has disappeared for a time. Trial is an essential part of God's program for our lives. John 15, 2, every tree that bears fruit, every Christian that bears fruit in their life, that tree is pruned so that it might bring forth more fruits. You look at Moses, 40 years in the wilderness. The poison water, the hunger, his own people against him. The golden calf, his enemies on the outside, his enemies on the inside. And after those 40 years of testing in the wilderness, Moses' faith was so strong, it was a bedrock of this earth. So strong that when God said, I won't let you see the promised land, he didn't turn against God. Ends up Joshua saying, I don't care what the rest of you do. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Abraham and Moses and St. Paul, John the Baptist in prison, time of testing. He watches Jesus out there, 10,000 people following him. And he says, I'm rotting here in prison. I'm about to have my head cut off. And you're out there with 10,000 people worshiping the ground you walk on. Have I chosen the wrong person? 
Jesus sends a messenger back. He says, you tell John the Baptist this. The blind see, the crippled walk, the deaf hear. The lepers are cleansed. You tell John that only the Son of God could do such a thing. Was Jesus angry at John when he had these questions, when he had these doubts? No. For his very next comment was, There is no person greater on this earth than John the Baptist. Times of testing doubts come. Our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if there's some other way to do it, let it happen some other way. But I close with Romans 5. We rejoice in our time of testing because testing produces perseverance. Perseverance in our faith in God. When testing comes, you can either go one direction and say, I don't believe in God anymore. Or you can go the other direction, straight into God. Testing produces perseverance. Perseverance produces a character. You become changed, you better. You go through a time of testing, all of a sudden you're more compassionate towards others. Because you've understood in your own being what suffering is. Time of testing produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. She's closing in on 60. She texted me last week. I was astounded at the one sentence. She said, I know now what joy is. Her husband's been at Christ Hospital for over a month. And every day she did not know whether her husband was going to live or going to die. They couldn't stop the bleeding, then this infection, then this, then this, then this, then this. And all of a sudden, prayers answered. He turns the corner. The bleeding has stopped. He's opening his eyes. He's responding. And she writes the comment... I now know what joy is. Testing produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope and joy. Lead us not into temptation, God. It frightens me when it comes. But if it comes... Use the time of testing to draw me closer to you. Deliver me as you did your son. Deliver me from the evil one. In our Lord's powerful name, amen. Would you rise as we pray? Heavenly Father, I never wanted to take tests in school. As a good student, I never wanted to take those tests especially if it was physics or something like that. And there is no human being who would ever desire a time of testing to come into their life. Lord, I don't want cancer in my life. I don't want the death of a son or daughter in my life. I don't want the death of my husband or wife in my life. 
I don't want unemployment. I don't want to go through the suffering of a divorce. I don't want, I don't want testing in my life. And Satan comes and says, it's coming. And God's right behind him and says, fear not. I am with you to the end of the age, through every mountain that you are asked to climb. I will be climbing the mountain with you. Lord, I'll never forget Pat Bredlaw's comments as he went off into the wilderness walking the Appalachian Trail 2,200 miles. He said, people often ask me, did you go alone? And I say, yes, I went alone, but I was never alone. There are always people that God sent across his path when it got really bad. And he came to know God in a way he had never known him before as he walked that trail. Be with your children, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. In our Lord's name, amen.